you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Jude with me, if you would. Jude, verse number 3. I want to read that verse to you also. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I want to just share with you that if we did not have the book of Revelation, the book of Jude would be the end of the New Testament. Uh, I think if you were to think about how that the epistles were written, we can see that it was designed to point to, at the end times, we would call uh, that particular period of time a time of apostate. I had a missionary call me uh, or write to me yesterday that just shared to me that we are now uh, worldwide experiencing times like it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, thinking about a world that is a mess, and with the departure, if you would, from what is healthy for the New Testament church, I think it's important for us to look at Jude uh, to help give us a little bit more of an understanding The Acts of the Apostles, we read through it, and we are excited about what's going on in there. And uh, i got to sport my garage sale shirt uh, just for a little bit because it's too warm up here. But I I was thinking about how that the Old, the New Testament in the book of Acts, you read it, how exciting it was to see the people gathering together and the Holy Spirit moving and the the churches then being added to daily. There was people getting saved. There was the Spirit of God working in the people's lives. They were calling upon God. Uh, sometimes we look at the Pentecostals as Baptists and say, my goodness, uh, look at how they are so excited about it. Sometimes the Baptists are a little bit more reserved, if you would. We say amen on Easter. Uh, we say amen on Easter a couple times. Uh, and sometimes we have this attitude, if you would, of a little bit laid back more than it was in the, if you look at the early church, the Acts of the Apostles. I think Jude really is Acts of the Apostates. I think that's how we could call the Jude is what is going on within the New Testament church. And it was a concern. There is a, a, a desire to understand, I think, a little bit more uh, concerning it personally, that as we look at the vestibule of Revelation, which is Jude, if we look at this particular book, we can pull out of it some things that will help us. I think practically we could actually ask ourselves, are my expectations in this life spiritually motivated? I think it would, it would say, you know, am I stirred in my spirit? Am I becoming spiritually dull? What motivates me? Do spiritual things motivate me? Do, do things concerning Christ cause me to be motivated in my heart? Uh, sometimes we can become dull. Another question, maybe are my ambitions in this life spiritually motivated? Is my, are my ambitions, uh, are they godly? Uh, am I going in the right direction personally? And I think if we, if we, we're not careful, we can actually enter into this particular time when Jude writes this and he's saying, you know, it's good to talk about the common salvation, but I, I think it's important for me to help you understand the need is to earnestly contend. It, it's, it's amazing verse number three because it has the word needful in here. It was needful for me to write this. Maybe it wasn't the best thing that I wanted to do, perhaps, but I see the need of the people, and it's needful for me to write this to you. 
Um, sometimes I'll have messages here and I think I'm, I'm locked in, I'm good. And then I get here and I believe God is leading me in a different direction. I hear things in the morning. I see people with their attitudes and so on, or perhaps on a Sunday morning. And so then I, I think, well, maybe I need to preach this message. Um, um, I, I bet have had evangelists here through the years, you know, Hal Hightower, Oliver Riza, Tom Farrell, different evangelists. And they'll sit up here with me and then they'll say, I think I'm changing my message, you know. And so I said, you know, go for it. If you see something that needs to be preached uh, and something that you're aware of that the people need. And this is was the case, if you would, here with Jude as he began to write. And his desire then was to encourage and admonish them to earnestly contend for the faith. I think what's involved with earnestly contending is not just a defense. And we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, that part of it is that we would defend the gospel uh, and the faith. If you would say, I defend the faith, uh, I defend how we do what we do as a New Testament church. Uh, Grace Baptist Church is not the largest church in the city of Madison, um, and I've always said recently that our, our desire is to obey um, God. Our main objective is not to, to grow. And you say, well, that, that's wrong, Pastor. Well, uh, our, our main objective is to obey. Your main objective is not to earn money. Your, 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 your main objective in life ought to be to glorify God with your life. That's the main objective. So we want to go back to saying that we cannot glorify God without, without obedience. Obedience is essential when God says to, and he prompts us to move, we step out by faith. So faith needs that action. James talks about that. So in our life today, if we're not careful, we can get caught up with all of the issues that are going on and all of the distractions you have. You know, we, we want life kind of as normal. We want life to be pre-COVID. Um, and some people say, well, we're not going to go back to normal and so on. You know, by, by God's grace, I want to get back to better than normal. I, I want to get back to having a little bit more enthusiasm, to have a little bit more impact in the city of Madison, to have a little bit more desire to see people saved and baptized and continued. I'd like to see more discipleship happening, not less. And I think that this is where we have to put the computers down and get back to church. I got one. Amen. I'm going to write that down. I got one. Amen. Honestly, I brought a three by five card. I got one amen on that one. You know, and, and again, if we're not thinking about this, uh, we, we can lose the Great Commission. You cannot lead people to Christ effectively online as much as you could if you come out and, and, and be involved with loving them and caring for them and having times like the, even the fire pit ministry was designed to get people, neighbors to hear so that they can come and, and see what, what we're like. We're normal. You know, like this week, I was talking to some of the men earlier about what happened this week. Uh, my birthday was Tuesday. Thank you so much for the great surprise. I was completely surprised. My wife comes out here last week, and and um, I, I honestly, I, I, was like, I was like, excuse me, you know, I'm closing the service, and she comes up, and and so we had this wonderful time. A Tuesday, she got ill. How many have been ill with this flu thing going on? So yeah, we just shook your hand, so you're fine. And so, uh, but you think about this whole thing. Uh, on my birthday, it's Tuesday. I'm, I'm going to get her some Canada Dry ginger ale. That's probably the best thing, some crackers, you know. And uh, she's not feeling well. And so on the way, my muffler falls off. 
So, so then I'm thinking, well, I probably should get my muffler fixed. I'm, I'm going down the road and a big pickup truck. It's not like a farm truck, right, Brother Tom? And, and I get into this place to have, I'm thinking, no, there's got to be someone here to witness to. God's got this all set up for me. I feel sad for that individual if he doesn't want to get saved because he's going to hear the gospel. And sure enough, I sit down across from this guy. He's got a mask on because, you know, it's so dangerous now still. Yeah. It really is, people. You've got to be careful. And you say, you're mocking it. Yeah, I am. And so it's interesting that, that we have this little time together. And I begin to talk to me. He says, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I pastor Grace Baptist Church. He goes, are you like Southern Baptist? You can't dance. You can't drink. You can't, you, you know. And, and I says, well, well, kind of. But, you know, I can do all of those things. But I don't want to. Because my want to's changed. When Jesus came into my life. He was a Catholic man. He very attentively listened to the gospel. He pulled his mask down when we were all done, and he said, I'm going to check into that. He may be watching this morning. Because I told him you can go online and see Grace Baptist Madison, and you can learn a little bit more about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and and not have to live by all of those rules. You can live with a relationship with Christ where you have these principles you live by, but God allows his spirit to live within you, and you can live your life happy and content through Christ. And you don't have to be tied to a religion. You can have a relationship with God. And so sometimes when we have these difficulties that are going on, we're thinking, well, there's all kinds of things that are taking us away from the gospel, but there are, God will give us opportunities to get the gospel out. Somebody texted me this week, can you please add the, the tracks uh, back in the back? All we had was invitations to grace tracks. Now, those are okay, but I want invitations to heaven tracks, okay? Because we've got to get the gospel out. And so I went in and dug a bunch of tracks out, stamped them, put them back out again. And, and if we have to continue to fill that weekly, we need to, because we need to earnestly contend for this, folks. We can't just let it go by the wayside and think like everything else. Just because of COVID, we can let the Great Commission go away. Absolutely not. That's exactly what the liberals would want to do, is to shut us up. They want their philosophies to win. We want the truth to be heard. And so with the word of God, there is a need for us to kind of push the reset button a little bit and understand that Jude was given to us to help us understand the times and understand that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, it was written between AD 67 and AD 75 was when it was written. And and Jude, of course, he was the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, uh, the first, um, the first uh, pastor, if you would, um, of Jerusalem. And uh, Jude was aware that certain evil men were attempting to corrupt the Christians and Christianity, and therefore he writes this letter to stem the influence of these evil men and to encourage the believers to earnestly contend for the faith. His initial desire was to write concerning their common salvation, but he perceived the urgent necessity to deal with these unpleasing issues first. But it's interesting if you look at the New Testament, because each one of them seems toward the end of their letters to talk about false teachers and false prophets uh, and, and how that the end was going to come. I think we see that interesting. We see it in Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John. Uh, and Jude all deal with these things. And at the same time, they, they, they motivate us to earnestly contend for the faith. I think of 1 Peter 1.13. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end 
for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying here that we're supposed to gird up the loins of our mind. There's going to come a day with the brain overload that you've got to cut and snip back and tie up those things in your mind to get you back on track and to get myself back on track again and be reminded that I need to earnestly contend for the faith that was once given to the saints, and we need to continue to as, as the, this generation passing it on to the next. I believe that there ought to be a good, solid Christian school in every community. I really believe that. Because the school districts now are teaching, and they've gone far beyond what I've ever imagined in the yes. school district. They have, they have they've pumped into your, the minds of our young people that there is no God. They've had brought their philosophies out there and said, this is truth, and all it is is their opinions. Whenever you remove the Bible, whenever you move Christ out of your conversation, all you're doing is having your opinions. I like to have certainties. I like to have absolutes. I write these things unto you that you may know for certain, and you may have the certainty of these things and understand. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, this is a, a second epistle, beloved. I now write unto you in both that I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, uh, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. First Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Second Timothy 1, 6, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God in you, which is in thee, uh, thy putting on of the hands. And my main objective this morning, talking about Jude and helping us understand who he is, is to stir up your minds and your hearts concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot let the gospel sit at home when we travel we must take the gospel with us wherever we go. I think about how important it was. The other day I was given a paper in, church, in my office here and I began to read. Remember the old Sword of the Lords? They used to have years ago the Sword of the Lord paper. I remember being at Northland and uh, I, I was actually helping uh, with maintenance and I was in uh, one of, the, um, one of the, the big buildings and it was a building that kept all the recyclable stuff and all the newspapers went in there and, and uh, jugs and stuff to recycle and someone had thrown away a stack of the Sword of the Lords from the 1940s. I got it in my office. I mean, Billy Graham and John R. Rice on the same page. What's up with that? Uh, that wasn't really, really uncommon back then to have Jack Hyle sit down with Jerry Falwell. You know, back in those days, we were like, you know, separatists. We're going to be isolationists. And we're going we're gonna to turn out the, the world upside down. And we've, we've cast these men aside that were good men. And they were getting the gospel out. And they did the best they could. Said all that to say that the sword of the Lord, I wasn't reading that paper. There was another one that has come forward. Now I forget what the title of it was, but I opened it up and began to read it in my office, and I read about a missionary I never heard of, Charles Cowman. How many have ever heard of Charles Cowman? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of him. Uh, maybe insignificant and when it comes to missions nowadays. Um, but what reading about missionaries... What, 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 what reading about missionaries does in my heart, um, you know, it excites me when I read about missionaries. It stirs me up in the inside. Think about how these people sold everything. They crossed the line and they said, here I am, I'm selling everything, I'm all in this. And then they have to go to churches and beg for money. 
to get to the mission field. And some actually will last three, four years on deputation until they get, you know. I mean, if I was to go on deputation today, I'd probably be a fossil by the time I got enough money to go. <laughs> you know, because it takes a long time nowadays. Churches cancel. You know, I have missionaries call me all the, day, all the time. It was a blessing to see our missionary here on Wednesday night. And I don't want to rebuke you, but you should have been here. You support him. It would be nice to talk to him and sit with him and talk to him. And what a blessing it was. He actually left his briefcase here uh, in his suit, uh, coat. And I, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, he's going to be coming through Madison. I'll get to see him again. Stephen Rains, his young family. What a blessing to see him. I took him out for ice cream afterwards and got to just encourage him and got a picture of him, you know, and so on. And it's important for us to remember that when we're talking about getting the gospel out is part of earnestly contending for the faith. And so, and by the way, this isn't even part of my message. This all came to me this morning. So the message is up there. I'm down here. So we may be shorter than normal. We don't know. Just the, the plane is about, as about, the plane is actually about 30,000 feet right now. So we're flying. We don't know exactly when we'll land, but I'm pretty sure we'll land before 1130. All right. But listen to what I have to say, because I think the content is very important. And reading this particular story about this Charles Kalman, my heart was stirred once again to get the gospel into Madison, Wisconsin. Now, I, I was 14 years old when I first started taking the gospel to Madison. Uh, and my uncle drove the bus, and I had the opportunity of going and getting kids to come on the bus. I had my pockets full of bubble gum. And, and I, my main objective was to get them to the church, you know. And out of all those children that came, there was one woman there uh, there was a single mom that got saved. Um, she married the pastor's son-in-law. No, married the pastor's brother-in-law, and they're still in, they're still in Madison, over at Madison Baptist Church. I get to see her once in a while, Rose. Uh, Rose Schatz. Um, fruit at 14. I'm just telling you because it is ingrained into every Christian to get the gospel out. That stirs up your heart when you're getting the gospel out. I was reading this story. I better keep going. Charles Common was hardworking. He's a productive missionary. He did not go to Tokyo, Japan, Seoul, South Korea in the idea of reaching a few with the gospel, but he had a desire to reach many. And he and his wife, of course, they arrived in Japan in 1901 he was in Chicago area is where he was a, uh, they used to have this, uh, what do they call that when they, a telegraph operator, um, called of God in his early 20s, uh, wrapping up everything and getting into Japan by 1901. It's been, it's been, I think he passed away 100 years ago. I think it says on here, he, he passed away in, in 1924. But he was hardworking, and he and his wife then first arrived in Japan in 1901, and by the time of his death in 1925, there were 1,700 men and women who were trained by the Bible institutes he started in two cities. The men he trained started more than 400 churches in Japan and nearly 80 churches in Korea before his death. This was not enough for Charles Kalman. He was always pushing to see more souls saved in ways that he could make a greater impact into Japan. It goes on to say one particular night, 
1916, Kalman was working late in the evening and his wife urged him to stop and get some sleep, but he said that the burden on his heart was too heavy and that he believed God was giving him direction regarding a new ministry. He worked and prayed all night and the next morning he showed his wife his plan was to get the gospel to every home in Japan within five years. He named it the Great Village Campaign. And, and, and he had the, the gospel booklets printed. He had 10.32 million homes in Japan was his desire to reach them. And he rallied a team to help him distribute the booklets to every single home. 10.32 million booklets of the gospel was going to be distributed to, in Japan. That was his desire. And in many cases, they took time to preach Christ to the lost. And surprisingly, they were given opportunities to preach even in some of the heathen temples. And one of the old heathen priests told Kalman, I believe that what you have told me today is the truth and that my efforts to lead my people for the last 25 years have been altogether in vain. And I have led thousands down the wrong road. And now I wish to learn the real truth that I may begin even now to turn them into the light of the gospel road, quote, unquote. God created, uh, or God certainly blessed and used the ministry of Charles Kalman because of his strong work ethic, but he blessed him because he had a desire to get the word of God and the gospel to the lost, and we have kind of lost that because we have a desire to continue to have conference after conference after conference, or, or sometimes we would have little workshops after workshops. Those are wonderful but we just need to get out on the streets with the gospel. Think about how that sometimes it's just by simply passing out a track. Now, Jude, back to the scriptures, I think a lot of times we think about Jude, we, it's a shortened, really, it's for Judas, you know. And, and in the same way, we would actually call Mike, Michael, Mike, that kind of thing, or Robert, uh, Bob. Uh, sometimes a William would be Will or so on, or Bill. Perhaps he used to Satan, but he shortened it perhaps because of Judas Iscariot. I don't know. It's a possibility. I mean, how many kids do you know that they, parents name their kids Judas? I mean, I mean, I wouldn't call my son Judas. So maybe that's why it's Jude. It's the brother of James, relates to Jude's physical status, and this relationship with James immediately limits his identity to two men mentioned in the Bible. First one, of course, is Judas, not Iscariot, mentioned in John 14, 22, one of the twelve, who also seems to be called uh, Thaddeus. And the other Judas is the one uh, of the Lord's brothers mentioned in Matthew thirteen fifty five and Mark 6 from the position of his uh, name in the list. He apparently was the youngest of these men and the view uh, of the apostle Judas was the author is highly probable and, and uh, has few advocates. But I, I read this, it says the, the reference to his, brother's, to his brother James suggests that this brother was noted, uh, was a noted individual in the church. Therefore, most common view is that Jude here, who had a well-known brother named James, was the leader of the Jerusalem church, was the half-brother of Jesus. So this may be, if you would... Um, 
the half-brother of Jesus uh, that wrote this. We would actually look at that being uh, important to the status of saying, wow, there must have been some kind of a change because in John chapter 7, verse number 5, neither did his brothers believe him. And so there was a transition made, a radical change uh, for one of his brothers to humble himself to say, this is Jesus the Messiah, my half-brother. The recipients of the letter, of course, were to the church, but they're actually blessed. These readers were sanctified by God the Father, and which is really specifically identifies them as born-again individuals. That's who it's addressed to. This particular letter is addressed to you, and it's addressed to me. So they were preserved in Jesus Christ, which speaks for their eternal security through Jesus Christ. And so a person who has been preserved would have the idea that once you're saved, you're always saved, uh, which I take that position. I believe that when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ at the age of seven in 1968, that now, all of these years later, I'm still, uh, I still have that relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm still his. My name is still written in the Lamb's Book of Life because once that takes place, it can't be erased. Interesting when we're talking about that, because today, in order for people to move forward with being a witness, I think, first of all, they deal with their own salvation. I think a lot of times people are not really sure what they believe. Um, they're not really certain what they really would stand for. Um, we kind of live in a, in a generation of young people that way. But I am surprised at what God is doing, because he is stirring up some young men to have a passion for his word, and there may be somebody sitting here today that's a young person, and you feel that stirring within you. Dear friend, go to God and say, thank you. Don't let me ever lose that. Because that's part of contending for the faith. And I really believe that if you want to give the gospel to somebody, you first must get your heart right so the Holy Spirit can work and speak with you. Because when you speak, so also the Holy Spirit into the heart of that individual so that they can trust Christ as their Savior. Yeah. And it might not happen at that time. We have to push them into a corner and say, sign here. You just give them the word of God and let the spirit of God work. But get the word of God out so God has something to use. Verse number two of Jude talks about mercy. Mercy in, in view of the dangerous and distressing situation f facing them in their day. Jude's prayer is that God may abundantly supply the needed mercy and, and the needed compassion in an evil world. And that's what we need today. We desire God to give us what we need, that, that mercy and that compassion. And it's the same word in the, in, the, in the Greek language for the New Testament. Every time you see the word mercy and you see the word compassion, they're the same. You have mercy upon somebody, you have compassion upon them. But he also says peace in verse number two. Again, in light of their present circumstances, Jude prays that they will be constantly experiencing the reassuring peace of God. And we pray that for you. Many of you I prayed for this morning. And if you want to know how to pray, grab your church directory. That's how you need to pray. And just look at the people's faces and look at the names and the addresses and pray for them and pray for their children and pray that God would draw them to himself and, and pray that God would help them today to be reminded of his grace. And God will give you the ability. A lot of times when you get to the place where you say, I can't do much, I can't get out and do things like, like the person going door to door. Well, you certainly can grab a church directory and in your chair at your home, pray for us as we go and pray for us. Pray for the leadership here at Grace. 
Pray for the other pastors. And we're living in a day when pastors get weary because the people are weary. You try to, try to lead people into a new program or lead people into what they should be doing with their families. And it's, it's getting harder and harder to do that. We understand. But God is still working. He's still doing a, a great thing many, 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 many places. But in the second verse, again, the word love is used, and Jews' desire was that they would continually experience the love of God. But what I wanted to press upon you is that there needs to be something in this particular passage brought out in the area of defense of this, and defending the gospel, defending the faith. So what is to be defended? The nature of the defense, then, is to earnestly contend. And so we ought to earnestly contend. Believers, not unbelievers, are commissioned to defend the faith. And this is, seems to be the term used here, where we're talking about the beloved. Believers are informed of the urgency of the defense. It was needful for me to write unto you. So there was this urgency within, within Jude to write. And I think we've lost our urgency. Now, I don't want to just constantly talk about how things used to be and how they should be today. I'm telling you folks, if we take advantage of the darkness of this world, our lights can shine even greater. We can make more sense in this ungodly world. I have more people asking me, what is a Baptist than ever before? I have more people asking me, what do you believe about the the end times more than ever? I do go to garage sales still. I did the other day. I wasn't supposed to, but I stopped by one. And I began to talk to them. And the guy says, oh, I, I think one of the people in your church helped me years ago. He, he makes frames, and maybe he's watching today because I gave him the gospel and urged him to watch. And he makes frames, and he says, somebody in your church made me a wooden box that I could put my frames into so they wouldn't get damaged years ago. I said, who was that individual? He says, I can't remember his name. But it was on the church there in the corner of Buckeye and South Townsend. What an excellent time. And, and here, here's, the, here's the thing. They'll never know unless we open our mouth. Yeah. I could just shake his hand, take his things that he doesn't want, and bring it and put it in a pile of things I've already bought that someone else doesn't really want. I could bring all that home and so on. But I began to open my mouth and speak to them and tell them that there's a, a God in heaven who cares and he's drawing people to himself. And COVID was a worldwide thing because of God's mercy saying, come unto me, I'll give you rest. Instead of going to our homes and putting our masks on and staying six feet apart, we ought to embrace one another and say, look, time is short. We need to get the word of God out. We've lost our urgency. And when Jude wrote this, we must earnestly contend for the faith. He was thinking they need love. They need peace. They need the Lord Jesus Christ but they need to continue to open their mouths as they earnestly contend for the faith. I was thinking about verse number four, and this is the problem. And the problem, and clearly Jude felt that it was his responsible to step in and do what was needed. He began to explain these men. He was a man willing to face off with the enemies of God and defend the faith. And Jude challenges us to do the same thing. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. I think it's important for us to identify those that are 
going in the wrong direction and taking us into a place where they've even changed the word grace into lasciviousness. They say that because of grace, you can just live the way you want to. No, it's not true. People will put these little questions out on social media, and you know what they're kind of, They're wanting an argument. Someone recently said, um, of the Ten Commandments for, the, for today. Since Jesus, come, since Jesus has come, are the Ten Commandments for today. I said, I wanted to write down there, Jesus came to fulfill the law and, and show us that what the law couldn't do, he could do for us through his spirit. Just by keeping up all of the Ten Commandments doesn't make us clean. If moral purity saved us, then all ten virgins in, the, in Matthew 25 would be in heaven. Yes. It's not just moral purity. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's his righteousness. But he's warning them about these men that actually would creep in unaware, that would actually turn and change things around so that it would be twisted. Is that happening today? Yeah. I think more than ever. I, I get so upset because it is almost like the liberals take these good words, planned parenthood. Isn't, aren't those good words? Well, in, in a way they are, but behind it is deceit. It's like the Bible says, uh, the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Because they come up with these names that twist things around to make it look like what they're doing is something good, but it's not good. It's very, very evil what's going on with Planned Parenthood. Very evil. But yet they call themselves people who are planning parenthood. It's everything but that. And that's the culture we live in. I think that what was desiring here for Jude was to help them understand that false teachers and their teachings must be dealt with seriously and quickly. And of course, we understand that there's a need for us to defend the faith and defend the gospel. So this truth must, must go beyond the walls of this building and extends to our homes and our associations, parents, we must be careful who we allow our children to associate with. My mom was really clear on this growing up. I had two friends from school, Mike Thompson and Tony Dewar. I don't know where they're at today. But I was in a public school for a while, and these two men came up to our house, and they knocked the door and said, can Dean come out and play? I was 11 years old. My mom said, nope, and closed the door. These are my classmates. I should be go out and play with them. My mom was so mean, right? No, those guys went and stole a car that day. <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't with Mike Thompson and Tony Dewar that day. But what kind of people are, are your children hanging around? We have to be careful, dear friend. Who are we hanging around? Sometimes we get to the place where we understand this, but then to be able to do it. I think when we're earnestly contending, it means to fight. Standing upon one thing which is, which, which is assaulted and which the adversary desires to take away. And, and it is to fight so as to, be, uh, to defend it and then to retain it. And remember, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And so the truth must continue to get out into the culture. 
You know how important this place is, dear friend? It is very, 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 very important. Paul understood this somewhat when he said, I magnify my office. And God's given you a place to serve here. I don't care if you're just holding the door open or passing out uh, bulletins Sunday morning. That is the great important, and you ought to magnify your opportunity to serve the Lord in our days. Earnestly contending for the faith. I have so much more here, but I want to skip down to the end of the sermon. So why is this to be defended? I think of the word verb here that's used, the word crept, to go down into, to go down into alongside of and settle down alongside of those who are already there. This is a secret and subtle insinuation of something evil entering into the church. They creep in. They don't come storming in. They don't blow trumpets with their heretical guns blowing off. They seek to lure you into immoral conduct. They are deceptive in their means because they are creeps that have crept in. Now, I don't think we need to look at every single person as being a person who is false. We need to be very careful and discerning within our own hearts, even if you have somebody that's come back to the Lord. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can judge them too far. And remember, if you are a judge of anybody, you're not not really a a person who loves. Um, You know that God is the judge. You're not. And so when it comes to this whole thing of saying, what do I do? We have to go back to what I believe is the absolute necessity, and that's being in the scriptures every single day. Grounded and, 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 and nurtured in the scriptures every single day. There's got to be a time where you actually would have maybe a card where you've written a verse down, and you begin to read it over and over again during the day to help you so that you can walk with God and, and discern and be able to say that's, that person's going in the wrong direction. I don't normally name names. There's all kinds of people out there. There's all kinds of personalities. There's all kinds of preachers out there. I have my own favorites like Adrian Rogers. He's biblical in his content, systematic in the way he brings it and presents it. He's kind of my hero, if you would. He's with the Lord. There's other people that I really enjoy listening to, like John Getch. He's a good one to listen to. I like Paul Chapel because of his leadership in the area of administration. You know, but there are some guys when I'm listening to them and they're preaching, I, I'm really wondering what their desire is. But I don't want to bring it under question as much as I want to say we have the truth and so we've got to continue to sound out the gospel. And you may not be a college graduate, you may not even have finished high school, but one thing you can do is you can change a person's life by giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it might just be as simple as standing on a street corner and saying, would you read this? Would you read this? You know what I'm hearing? Is that people are taking tracks now more than ever because someone's got their attention because what's going on in the world today. Is it going to get any better? You know, I don't know. But I know this, that he said to occupy until he comes. He said, lo, I will be with you unto the end of the world. And so the church, as we move forward, we have to earnestly contend for the faith. And how do we do that? 
Let's get the gospel out. Is your heart stirred this morning about it? When's the last time you gave the gospel to anybody? Why are you here? You're to glorify God. Oh, someday it's going to be over for you, and someday it's going to be over for me. It's hard to believe that I just turned 60. I thought, my goodness, I was in Lebanon, and I was 21 years old, and never thought I'd come home. And now i got four sons and four daughter-in-loves. And pretty soon I'm going to have six granddaughters and six grand, or three granddaughters and three grandsons. It's, going to, it's, it's just wonderful. Life is awesome. But it's because of God's grace. And I don't know how much time I have, but I want to continue to earnestly contend for the faith. It was once delivered. It was once delivered. In fact, there was enough people that said, we're going to take this particular constitution and adapt it. And we're going to take the scriptures and we're going to start Grace Baptist Church, 1971. 1972, they came together and put a charter membership. Next year is our 50th year anniversary of the Grace Baptist Church here in Madison. Never been really big, but we just want to be obedient, want to help along the way. I look at Grace as kind of being like the emergency room. You come here, you get patched up, and then you move on. Get out in the real world. It's wonderful to have you here for a while, but God wants to use you some other place. But I really believe that God has got missionaries right here in this auditorium. He's got preachers right here in this auditorium. But for some reason, you felt like it was important to do something else. Well, now it's time to say, yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. I'm not looking to be popular. I'm looking to be obedient to God. He's been tugging at your heart. Why don't you just say, yes, Lord. Like Joe Boyd said years ago, come on in, the water's fine. God will take care of you. You know, like Sam Sabodian said, he's not going to give you a rusty pinto to drive around. Some of these missionaries have pulled in with better vehicles than I've had, ever, because God has provided, and he always will. I was listening to this Charles Cowper, you know, or Kalman, and reading about him, and he He said, I believe God wants me to continue until he stops meeting my needs. Wow. I'm going to keep on going and keep on going to earnestly contend for the faith. We're not done with Madison yet, folks. Madison's a wonderful city. Liberal. And by the way, don't look at Madison just as as a liberal university. Go into the city sometime and garage sale and see these humble people that need Jesus Christ in this city. Why would we go to other cities when this city is so needed for the gospel? Would you pray with me about this, dear friend? Would you say, what more can I do to help get the gospel into Madison? Let this be the summer of discovery for Grace Baptist Church. And let's get busy for Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Maybe you're here today and God has already pressed upon you to make decisions for him. He's been speaking to you and and even before I opened my mouth, you wanted to make some decisions for the Lord. We want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It used to be called the anxious bench. People would come forward to a bench and kneel down and pray. Because they felt if you go home, you might forget about it. 
But I think it's important for us to have an altar call. I've always felt that. Maybe God's working in your heart even now where you felt like you needed to do more for him. You desire to say, yes, Lord, yes. We'll give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never believed in Jesus Christ. You've never put your faith and your trust in him. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. You grew up learning about God and hearing about him, but have never received him. Let today be the day that you receive him. And maybe you just need to come to an old-fashioned altar and pray. With every head bowed, would you please stand to your feet? We're going to have an invitation if you need to come. You come. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done praying, the piano's going to begin to play softly. And if you need to come, you come. Father, I pray that you bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.